live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This is the broadcast from May 26th in the year of our Lord, 2020. This is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide, and absolutely we're convinced. The checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers, one of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. We are live. We were live yesterday for, for Memorial Day. We were live Saturday. We had an incredible weekend of Friday, Saturday, Monday live broadcasts. Hope you had a delightful weekend as well. And hopefully you spent time focusing on God, family, and country. Quick recap of yesterday's show. We had on two guests, first hour, Lowell Nelson campaign for liberty.org. We wished everybody a happy Memorial Day and then kicked off hard-hitting news. We talked about, quote, we'll see on your knees, an article written by Rand, or by Ron Paul. Scrap the Trace Act, says Lowell Nelson. Amen to that. We talked about H.R. 6666. The Trace Act provides $100 billion this year and unlimited funding in future years. Why? To create a massive unconstitutional surveillance tracing everyone testing enforcement system under the guise of protecting us under the coronavirus. H.R. 6666 allows for funded entities to force us uh, or home quarantine us against our will and also force us eventually to get a vaccine. Yeah, you'll be injected with a COVID-19 vaccine because, man, if you test positive, you could just endanger everyone, don't you know? We talked about great things are happening despite the tyrannical efforts of government bureaucrats. Karen Kwiatkowski wrote that article, and I agree with a lot of her points. Uh, she talked about a new word, authenticception. Yeah. It means sensing the truth and identifying who is and who is not authentic and what is and is not real and true. Pretty neat word. New word I learned, that's for sure. We also talked about the CDC confirms lower coronavirus death rate. Yeah, they say the most likely scenario is 0.26%. In other words, one quarter of 1% folks. Uh, you got to ask, will the Texas Supreme Court follow the Supreme Court of Wisconsin? Hopefully, they're rejecting the coronavirus crackdown. Ohio judge went along as well and deemed the state's COVID-19 lockdown as arbitrary, unreasonable, and oppressive. We also talked about the shutdown may collapse in Pennsylvania thanks to local resistance from municipalities and the people doing a great job over there. We also talked about the economic reopening as a fake-out. Brandon Smith wrote that article. He says, do not be fooled by the reopening. It is not real. Because it's not meant to last. Yeah, it's meant just to combat outrage and, well, slowly but surely move us into a tyranny. It'll condition us to a periodic tyranny. They'll just kind of have waves of this lockdown and then back off and lockdown and back off. And pretty soon people will be accustomed to that way of life. Don't fall for it, he says. 
We also talked about the founders and property rights. Michael Bolton, great Tenth Amendment conversation. Hour two, we had a Dr. Scott Bradley. FreedomsRisingSun.com is his website. We talked about Steve Stockman, cricket congressman or political prisoner. Great article written by TheNewAmerican.com. Incredible article about Steve Stockman. In-depth details. Read it, but pay strict attention because it's complex, baby. They love to create all those complex rules and trap people and then, you know, just roll out the selective enforcement, don't they? We talked about Democrat election judge pleads guilty to stuffing the ballot box, fraudulent votes for party members, comprised as much as 22% of the total. Wow, vote cast in crazy town, ladies and gentlemen. I wonder if there'll be some accountability, but I doubt it, huh? Michigan government Governor Whitmer is on the list of, quote, Biden VP picks. Think that'll go anywhere? Time will tell. We doubt it. Dershowitz doubles down. State can force vaccination if it's, quote, safe, acknowledges the moral argument, but justifies the use of, quote, state police power. This Dershowitz is a nut, folks. Nancy Pelosi, next stimulus, will enable the American people to vote by mail. In my personal opinion, that is disaster on steroids. It'll be fraud everywhere. Donald Trump speaks out about this as well. We'll talk about that as the broadcast unfolds. Donald Trump, quote, I have a chance to break the deep state. Jack Davis, Western Journal. The question is, will Trump be successful? And I mentioned at the end of the hour that Trump will not be successful. And the reason why, folks, I'm not doubting President Trump here. I think President Trump has done a tremendous Job on so many fronts. He really has. Let's give credit where credit's due. Kurt wisely brings up in our lifetimes, we haven't seen a president do the things President Trump has done. There's no doubt about that. But listen, if you put your trust in one man, the president of the United States, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Okay? The only people that can, the only person, I should say, the only entity that can save our nation will be God Almighty, our Father in heaven. And the only way we can tap into his willingness to save us is if we do what he asks us to do which is keep the commandments of God and turn to him and repent. And if we do, he promises us if we have faith and repentance, he will heal our land and protect us. And so do I think Trump's done a lot of good along the way? Without a doubt. But do I think that you can look to any man, any mortal man to save us? And I don't think so. I just don't. So, you know what? I'm not uh, dismissing President Trump and I'm not dismissing the proper role of constitutional government by any means. But I am trying to shift the focus to the founder's view, which was, look, we're one nation under God, not one nation under Trump or government or anybody else. And I think Trump would readily admit that, I might add. Okay? So this is not an attack on anybody who is in government or anybody who's trying to make a difference. We at Liberty Roundtable Live are trying to make a tremendous difference as well. Look, we're not your saviors either, folks. We can point out true principle, and hopefully people can embrace those principles. We can talk about God, family, and country as we should. But unless we the people turn to God and repent, I'm telling you. We're not going to gain ground. All right, that's a recap of yesterday's show. News the networks refuse to use starts now. Kirk Crosby's with me. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Buenos dias. Uh, greetings and salutations. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Thank you, Sam. All right, President Trump, I guess he's having a deregulatory moment. Kurt, this is worth talking about. And I think, again, this is something that we have not seen by any other president in our lifetimes, right? Well, at least um, if if it happened, uh, I never heard of it. Um, and in this case, uh, 
uh, the WorldNet Daily Voice uh, got this piece, uh, um, and it's sourced from Real Clear Politics, so it's, uh, you know, hidden. You know, it's not just the World Net Daily Voice. They're all kind of teaming up. The, re- the headline says uh, President Trump's de- having a deregulatory moment all but grabbed a pair, a giant pair of scissors and wrapped himself in the Gadsden flag of the last Tea Party. Um, and what they're talking about uh, is when uh, this was just um, early in the uh, Trump White House, um, they say that staffers started making the mountain. So let me let me stop you there the for morning. a second, Kurt, and set the stage mm-hmm. for this. This is what the mainstream press yeah. was telling you that Donald Trump is all by himself, lonely in the White House, just afraid of his own shadow, never wanted to be president in the first place. His wife won't join him. It's just horrible in there. Is the way these people lied and told you. But here's what was really going on in the White House, right, Kurt? Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, I mean, this is just uh, barely, uh, this is a report about just, uh, they say it was uh, uh, executive day in 2017. It was, you know, just barely getting in there afternoon of the day. But, uh, but isn't that when these guys were all the, telling you that he was all holed up all by himself and he was paranoid? Well, was, that his wife wouldn't go yeah, to the White House. That's when they were giving all those lies. In New York but and, we have a whole different you know, inside scoop of what was really going on in the White House, folks. Yeah, it says staffers started making the mountain in the morning, printing and stacking page after inky page of Xerox sheets at the White House. By the afternoon when President Trump arrived, the summit of paper easily towered over the six foot three executive. That's him, you know, saying it's higher than six foot three. Uh, That was a day in 2017. Remember, that's when he got inaugurated, put in, you know, after the 2016 election. It was more than 185 thousand pages of federal regulations five pillars wide and three columns high they were neatly stacked in the roosevelt room trump still somewhat new on the job motioned to the mountain and promised to unleash an administrative shredder on each unnecessary page the president had called reporters in to brag about his executive order the one that had required cutting more old regulations before adding new we aim for two to one he beamed we hit 22 for one uh his administration was shredding so much so fast in the first year that uh, of his term that trump wondered if we will have anything left to cut but there's more left three years later a lot more senior white house staffers tell real clear politics and and during the uh, pandemic trump is having a deregulatory moment as coronavirus burns its way around the globe, Trump has been shoveling the Federal Register into the fire at one page at a time. The president announced another executive order just recently. It says uh, um, this one to make permanent the regulatory rollbacks already ordered in response to COVID-19. More will inevitably be torched. Amen. Torched Is it enough, all, ladies and gentlemen? Far from. Is it an incredible start? Yes, and we're not a lover and or a hater of people. Well, we love all people, but, you know, we know they're all God's children. But to us, it's about principle. And Trump is on the right track on this one, folks. Less government regulation, more turning to the Almighty, huh?
The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues that affect the American West, its people, lifestyles, lands, and wildlife. The Loving Liberty Radio Network is proud to support the publisher's efforts to provide an active forum for solutions that preserve the vanishing American cowboy, farmer, and sheep herder. Each issue contains informative articles on life in the American West, along with breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of the cowboy spirit in our day. Each issue of Range Magazine also features great gift ideas, like the 2020 Real Buckaroo Calendar and the book Tales from Out There. Order online from Range magazine.com just click on the shopping cart the loving liberty radio network salutes the spirit of the american west and those who are keeping it alive at range magazine for Moral Law is a nonprofit legal foundation committed to protecting our unalienable right to publicly acknowledge God. The Foundation for Moral Law exists to restore the knowledge of God in law and government and to acknowledge and defend the truth that man is endowed with rights not by our fellow man, but by God. The foundation maintains a twofold focus. First, litigation within state and federal courts. Second, education conducting seminars to teach the necessity and importance of acknowledging God in law and government. How can you help? Please make a tax-deductible contribution, allowing Foundation attorneys to continue the fight. You may also purchase various Foundation products as well at morallaw.org. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, the Foundation for Moral Law is a nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3, founded by Judge Roy Moore. Please partner with us to achieve this important mission, morallaw.org. With news the networks refuse to use. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. You know, when people take both sides of the aisle, the left-right deceptive paradigm, oftentimes they just can't acknowledge the good of the other side or the good of a situation. Uh, And we try to do that on this program, ladies and gentlemen. We try to be open and fair and honest and transparent to the best of our ability. And you know what? We're far from it, too. Kurt mentions that the mainstream press influences us all. And sadly, he's right about that. You know, we just can't help it. It's so pervasive. It's everywhere. Even the news stories we talk about. You know what? We get headlines from around the country. And, well, hey, we might talk about the narrative and, you know, focus on it the way we see it. But you know what? The headlines really come from the mainstream for the most part, right? Um, You know, you don't live in a vacuum. You're influenced by many, 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 many things. But we try to be open. And so the president doing a good job here, president having a deregulatory moment, and then they say he all but wraps himself with a Gadsden flag. Again, they're trying to make it like a throwback to the, you know, south or a throwback to whatever. And I don't like to look at it that way. I like to look at it and say the principle is less government. And it's a good one. And the president of the United States of America has been embracing it since his first day on the job. Is he perfect at it? Far from. Does he have a lot to go? Yes. Is it a drop in the bucket? Sometimes it feels like it. But the fact is, in my lifetime, I haven't seen a president even focus on this consistently in my lifetime. And we've got to give praise for that. And we've got to say that's the way it should be. 
I wonder if, you know, he tried to do two for one and then he said he got 22 for one. I wonder if we the people would back the president like no other if we could get 200 to one or 2000 to one. And see, that just points to our responsibility, folks, is the reason that I'm bringing this up. Uh, And, you know, a lot of times Kurt and I don't differ necessarily on the facts uh, on what we would like to see happen in the end. Both of us would like to see way, way, way less government. But sometimes Kurt has an idea of how to go about it, or I have an idea how to go about it. And, you know, the other one may not be on that idea as much. That doesn't mean we're against it. It just means, hey, we're looking at something differently. That's okay. This is America, and we can all think differently, and hopefully we can influence each other. And over time, it's not a matter of who's right. It's a matter of what's right, and we can get there together. That's what it's all about. And I really think that oftentimes, you know, Kurt gives the president a lot more credit than I do. And the balance oftentimes is who's right. Well, it doesn't matter who's right. What matters is, is you know what, is it right to give the president credit or is it right to look beyond that and say, yeah, but. And I think oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this more than most, but, you know, when do we make a mistake and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, and we ignore the giving credit where credit is due, and we're always on to the next thing. And this is a perfect example about this deregulatory moment. It's something to celebrate. And I could say, yeah, but it's just a mountain in a molehill. You know, we might be deregulating 22 to 1, but, man, we sure there's so much to go that, you know, we can't even think about it or whatever. And, and you know what? There's some truth to my point. But in the, in the scheme of things, I would probably be wrong. Why? Because I'm missing the celebration and missing the endorsement and support of the correct principle oftentimes. I want the principle in its totality. But is it smarter to chip away at it instead of just go for the whole thing? Which is smarter, the incremental move the ball down the field or the Hail Mary, right? And, and oftentimes, you know what? The Hail Mary works out once in a while, but a lot of times it just fails, and the incremental move the ball down the field works consistently all the time. Is there a place for both? Yes. But the Hail Mary should be a once in a while reality. Uh, and the move the ball down the field a little bit at a time should be the consistent go-to, right? We need to learn from both is the point, And that's why I spend so much time on it. Is we the patriots have got to learn to give credit where credit's due. We've got to learn when we incrementally move the ball, it is a good thing. Especially when we move it enough to where they can say, hey, we've got to move the chains to measure this one. I don't know. Maybe I make no sense, but hopefully it'll resonate with a few of you. And that storytelling can bring it home in a way that helps you engage in the solutions. Speaking of the solutions. Wow. This guy's name is Daryl Scott. And uh, Kurt wants to talk about Daryl. He's a pastor, right? Kurt, a religious guy. Well, that's right. And uh, apparently he's a black man, Sam, according to the uh, story from the Western Journal. Um, and the headline reads, uh, Wait a Pastor minute, he ain't black who has if lived... he's talking good about the president, Kurt. <laughs> good point. No, just, uh, just kidding, by the way, folks. I don't believe that for uh, a second. It says, Pastor who has lived under 12 presidents. Um, I haven't really counted up how many I've lived under, but anyway, uh, says Trump is most pro-black president. Pastor Daryl Scott is on his 12th president, so he knows a bit about the effect they've had on the African-American community. According to him, President Donald Trump has been the best president for the black community he's experienced in his lifetime. I guess he's the pastor of the New Spirit Revival Center in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. He's a close ally of the president. He made some remarks at a round table in Michigan, uh, that place they call Ypsilanti. It's spelled Y-P-S-I-L-A-N-T-I. It's 
crazy word, but, you know, they call it Ypsilanti. I, he said, I said it uh, before unashamedly, and I say it again. This president has been, I've been, I've lived under 12 presidential administrations. Scott said during the listening session with African-American leaders, he says, uh, I was born during Eisenhower's administration. This president has been the most pro-black president in my lifetime. But when I say pro, I'm sensing, I'm saying pro in the sense of being proactive. He's been proactive rather than reactive to issues concerning minority, underserved, and disadvantaged communities than any other president in my lifetime. He says, I really believe history is going to be kinder to you, Mr. President, than the fake news media is today. Mm, I don't know about that. Kind of depends on who's writing the books. Uh, but he goes on. He says, yeah, you, "Hold on." Usually, worse. the conquering <laughs> writes the books, not the conquered. So, right. in Good our point. society, uh, you know, the whites seem to be being conquered left and right. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand his point, and I and I pray that he's right. But I again, uh, kind of doubt it because again, those who are the enemies write the books a lot of times if they you know, have the last word. And oftentimes the elite, the mainstream press, the inside swamp, oftentimes they have the last word on the skirmishes that I've seen in my lifetime. So I pray it's different. If this, if this guy wrote the history book, it'd certainly be that way. Yeah, uh, or if says, Ben Carson uh, wrote it, or if Kanye <coughs> yeah. West wrote it, or if, I mean, I can go That's on. That's right. right. Yeah. He says, can't be any worse. Uh, That's what the president joked before thanking Scott. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, bottom line is, uh, it says, uh, Scott was one of the uh, number of people in Michigan to discuss the coronavirus impact on minority communities. Department of Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Ben Carson and Scott Turner of the White House Opportunity Revitalization Council were also in attendance at the Ford Motor Company plant. Uh, anyway, President Trump said, as our nation battles the invisible enemy, African-American communities have been hit very hard, including in Detroit. Um, as you know, it's been a very difficult time for certain areas of this country. Yeah, anyway, and a lot of people would line, like to really help African-American yeah. communities, and I understand that. But I'd like to turn people to Christ and turn people to understanding that we're all sons and daughters of the Almighty God. and. You know, I'm not really into black communities and white communities and Asian communities and whatever. I'm not into pandering to those divisions or highlighting. You know, we can learn to work and live together. And a lot of people would say, Sam, that's just the wrong statement, buddy. We got to, you know, have our enclaves and we got to be separate people. And we got to, and you know, people can debate that all day. I understand their point that, hey, sometimes people gravitate towards who they're most comfortable with. There's no doubt about it. I don't think the black culture and black communities would want to be uh, you know, just forced into, you know, white communities and vice versa. But do we got to focus on it being segregated? Or is it people live where they want to by choice? You know, uh, anyway, I appreciate Daryl Scott's point. And I appreciate focusing on what can we do together to make life better for everybody. And if people want to live in a black neighborhood or a white neighborhood, I think people should freely associate. Uh, and if they want to do that, great. But I think we need to have the idea that it's not a forced divider, a government-mandated divider, a government-mandated coming together, let people live and associate freely as they do. And if the blacks create a community and the whites create a community and they decide they want to live, you know, in their own sections of town, as long as we don't have strife and anger and hatred, what's wrong with that? We shouldn't force people to live in certain places to create the melting pot or the you look, people can live where they're comfortable. And if there's a neighborhood that's not doing well, 
hey, I think we could change the hearts and minds of the people, and then they can change the environment around them. That should be our job across all gender and racial lines, right? We're all children of God, and we all ought to work together. And when a principle's right, we all ought to embrace it. When a principle's wrong, we all ought to reject it. That's just how I roll. All right, two good men don't know what color they are, but they helped out another gentleman. Don't know what color he was either and don't care. But they all three did something really cool, and Kurt's going to tell you about it. Two come to the 801, and what a blessed day is. We save life. It was. We'll tell you all about it in seconds. Sam Kurt on your radio. You got it in USA Radio News Live on Liberty Roundtable. Hard-hitting news at the top and bottom of every hour via the most conservative mainstream news sources we can find. A lot of people say, Sam, why do you even cover those news sources? They're not hard-hitting enough. They're not our view. Well, we got to keep an eye on the enemy partly. They report the mainstream news, but we also have the most friendly folks reporting the news of the enemy we can find. Salem Radio News and USA Radio News. They're friendly people, folks. They're both Christian organizations doing the best job they can. And you got to hear about what's going on. You got to also have live updates. That's one of the other things that top and bottom of the hour news provides is live updates. When you get a rebroadcast of Liberty Roundtable Live at 7 in the evening, 7 in the morning, we're live mountain time. 7 in the evening is a rebroadcast of the day's show. But you want live news during that, don't you? You want top and bottom hour, top and the bottom of the hour to be live, fresh, unique content, real time information, late breaking news, right? Well, we got it for you. That's why we do it, and it's from the best two sources we can find. And if you want to criticize, go away. If you want to embrace and say, you know what, good for you, Sam, but here's a better source. In other words, you want to bring a solution to the table. We're all ears. That's just how we roll. All right, two men helping out another gentleman, Kurt, and I don't even know what race they are. Don't care either. Well, good point, Sam. And this is the uh, Western Journal boys bringing this piece. Uh, Amanda Thomason writing this. Uh, uh, they're that's talking about, the about a boys, guy. That's and, the news gals going on over here. That's right. Good point. Um, anyway, uh, this is out of France. Uh, and the guy's name is uh, Dombayeva Zamboulat. I'm sure I said that properly. Uh, but um, when this guy arrived in France seven years ago, they say he had one goal. Uh, to work as a mechanic, and they say in order to do that, he needed a residence permit. Uh, he said he's been dreaming for, about this for seven years, and he says all I want to do is live as a simple person. Um, and I think the subheadline would be, you know, compared to uh, the uh, life that he lived before, uh, you know, I guess he was in, uh, they say, Chechnya, you know, or so some of the Soviet uh, kind of area so a communist country but anyway he and another guy are, are neighbors now and they've become friends there and it says on the, the recently they uh, saw a concerning scene uh he says i was doing gymnastics when i saw some smoke coming at from a neighboring building so he says an apartment building was on fire on the second floor. An elderly man was leaning over his balcony, railing, unable to escape while smoke billowed around him and over him. Uh, so the two buddies uh, wasted no time climbing up to rescue the man, even as a crowd grew below them. Uh, I then piled up trash cans and went up to him. 
The one guy said, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I cannot walk, the elderly man said. Um, so uh, one man stayed on the neighboring balcony while the other swung himself across and onto the old man's balcony. A third man helped them hoist the elderly man to safety. Uh, they say the decision to help was an easy one. He said, I saw an old person. I didn't hesitate to climb. Uh, I was not afraid because it's not the first time I have rescued people. Everyone asked me the question, but I did not have time to be afraid. I had to go, he said. Uh, the men's actions have been recognized by rescue personnel. They were awarded some medals. They really helped save people. And it's to their credit. And so we need copycats I, all around the globe of people doing good things for people and, uh, you know, being willing to sacrifice and put themselves in harm way for others. And that's just how we want to roll on Liberty Roundtable Live, huh, Kurt? Well, right, Sam. And uh, you got to ask yourself this simple little question, ladies and gentlemen. If we could find this story and uh, the folks at the Western Journal could find it, then why couldn't? You know, CBS and NBC and ABC and CNN. You know, why couldn't they find it? How do you how do you destroy you? a nation pointing to heroes, Kurt? Well, good point. See, they yeah. want to destroy the nation, um, folks, and so you just can't have this positive uh, self empowerment, you know, news story and talk about God, family, country, self sacrifice, and all the wonderful principles we talk about. So that's their deal. But hey, we're moving right along. Speaking of that, there's a guy who put together good news. And uh, John Krasinski is his name, right? And John Krasinski, I guess, put together good news, and everybody was praising it. And people were saying, "Sam, you got to get in touch with this guy, and you got to." And I've been working on it. I've just been so busy, I haven't had to, I haven't given it enough bandwidth. Nevertheless, um, I always like to, oftentimes, just kind of wait a little bit, and see if people are in it for the long haul or the flash pan. And I guess I got my answer, huh, Kurt? Well, that's right. Um, the headline reads, after massive bidding war, some good news that put that in quotes, uh, sells to Viacom CBS, but Krasinski will no longer host. As uh, people started to shelter in place, they say they turned their sights on hyper-local projects, house updates, landscaping, and all those little chores, you know, that put, that put aside thanks to lack of time. That held true, they say, for actors, too could no longer be on set because of social distancing. Uh, the Office star, John Krasinski, uh, showed up with an adorably low-budget production that started with a simple desire to bring pe good news to people. Some good news. Uh, it took off right off, they say, filmed in his living room with a sign designed by his kids. I did watch, like, part of one version i had somebody suggest i should um and um hold on they, did you like it they were user well i didn't think it was hard-hitting enough for me but you know i just uh, i thought all the news and stuff that we see is a lot more interesting to me but anyway i just probably didn't give it enough time it says uh he shared user suggested stories of goodness around the world uh he said we would love to hear some good news and share it with the world the show's description on youtube reads um anyway they say it was a much needed breath of fresh air First episode has been viewed over 17 million times. All right, so let's and make sure we understand the story. So this guy was an actor, right? And when the COVID correct. hit, he lost his job kind of, or he got put on hiatus or whatever you want to say. And so as a result, he created this news thing called Good News. 
John Krasinski. Some good news. Or some, some good, good news. news. So, right. so behind him is a picture that says SGN for some good news. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, John Krasinski got that done. And then it looks yeah. like, you know what, the big boys loved it so much, they picked it up and created a bidding war. And as far as I understand, John Krasinski, no longer host of Some Good News, uh, they say after selling out some are, you know, putting it. Do you think it's a sellout, Kurt? Well, um, what usually happens when the big boys get involved is, uh, at least in my opinion, there's some control that they're going to put uh, because, you know, they want, they, I mean, they're putting their money in it, Sam. They're going to uh, want their direction to be there. Um, and so that's, um, they say this guy's not going to be the host. They say he's going to stay on as an executive producer, and he'll have some sort of an on-air presence. Um, and uh, they say he's had plenty of offers to buy the show since it started after this massive bidding war. Uh, it's got a new owner in Viacom CBS. They say uh, many viewers are concerned that the very qualities that make SGN a heartwarming show, says the low budget, the homey setting and Krasinski's upbeat and silly hosting will be lost when produced on a larger level. Yes, and I think that's exactly right. I think what they wanted to do, though, is take it. And what will happen is they'll buy it. They'll try to do it. They'll fail at it, turn it into something that it was never intended to be, Kurt. And, you know, there you go. My problem with John is why sell out, though? Why not keep it and do it? If you really believe in the good news cause, my friend, is it about cash or is it about good news? And, and so I'm not here to really attack John, but I am here to express disappointment about that. And let me give you kind of some comparisons to make the point. Fox News is finishing up its highest rated year in company history, they say, having an average 2.5 million viewers in prime time over the course of 2019. The network also led all of basic cable viewers um, averaging 1.4 million throughout the year or whatever. And it goes on and on and talks about Fox. But the reason I bring this up is this. You know, John, you really should focus on what matters. And I believe that, you know, you could maybe get richer in your acting career or more wealthy. Uh, but I think the self-satisfaction that you get from promoting good news, you're going to miss, my friend. And uh, you know what? The mainstream press will not do you a favor. You should know that by now. The whole reason you had to create a good news offering is because they weren't doing it. They have plenty of money and plenty of capacity to do it as well if they wanted to. And you wouldn't have needed to even get into the mix doing that, John. But the reason you had to is because they won't do it. Why won't they do it? Because they don't believe in it and they don't like it and they hate it. How do I know? Because they have the ability and the money to do it and they don't. Thus, they see your good news offering, buy it. And the first thing they do is make sure you're not the host. If they really wanted to embrace what you were doing, they would have bought it and kept you as the host, first of all. Okay, but they've got an agenda, and the agenda isn't the same as yours. And I, I understand that you might not realize all that yet, because it takes a long time to get savvy in the media. But I'm telling you right now, I learned a long time ago, you get advertisers, I can get a lot of advertisers, but they'll change what we do to the point where I, I don't want to do it anymore. Therefore, I can't have the advertisers, I better fund it myself. We'll never get big because of that. They want us to quit talking about God. We'll never do it. John, buddy, in my humble opinion, you've missed an opportunity.
I'd invite Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. The press has created a rigged system. They even want to try and rig the election. Well, I tell you what, it, it helps in Ohio that we got uh, Democrats in charge of the machines. And poisoned the mind of so many of our voters. At the polling booths, where so many cities are corrupt and voter fraud is all too common. And then they say, oh, there's no voter fraud in our country. I come from Chicago. So, so I want to be honest. It's not as if it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past. Sometimes Democrats have to. You know, whenever people are in power, they're, you know, they have this tendency to try to, you know, tilt things in their direction. There's no one. You start whining before the game's even over. Whenever things are going badly for you and, and you lose, you start blaming somebody else. Then you don't have what it takes to be in this job. Hi, I'm Patty, wife of former Congressman Steve Stockman. In Congress, Steve sought impeachment of Eric Holder for his corruption of the Justice Department and his fast and furious gun running that caused border agent Brian Talley's death. Steve called for arrest of Lois Lerner for her contempt of Congress as it investigated her targeting of conservative nonprofit groups. After four years, four grand juries, and millions of tax dollars, Steve Stockman is in prison. His case involved four checks to nonprofits. DOJ has one standard for Hillary Clinton, but another for folks like President Trump and my husband. We've spent all our savings, all Steve's retirement, and much of mine. Steve Stockman has fought for you and America. Won't you join me now to fight for Steve? To help, text FIGHT to 444-999. Text F-I-G-H-T to 444-999 or go to defendapatriot.com. Defendapatriot.com. So I'm not here to attack John Krasinski, but I am telling you that I think he's made a serious mistake. The advertisers will control what you do or they'll kick you out. The mainstream press doesn't want good news. They have plenty of cash. They could have created their own good news channel. But the benefit of buying his good news channel is that it stops him. He's not the host, and I bet there's a, quote, non-compete clause or something like that where he won't be able to get back into it. In my opinion, a sad, sad mistake. Now, is it as hard-hitting as news as we would provide? No, but it might be a whole lot more entertaining. And I at least applaud the effort to seek for good news, right? But, uh, you know, Fox is finishing up its highest-rated year. How come they don't have a good news channel? Eh? Just wondering. All right, now, let me tell you a cool thing that I think is kind of on the back end of this. And this just proves that John was on track, Kurt. And it proves that his abandoning of the project for cash was a big, big, big mistake. Headline says this. Westwood One's Murdoch, or Wardock, I'm sorry. Westwood One's Wardock. On maintaining and monitoring podcast audiences. It's an interesting, interesting read. But the Westwood One Podcast Network executive offered strategies and analytics tools for engaging listeners, Kurt. Uh, his name is John Wardock, and he's an executive editor of the Westwood One Podcast Network. Now, Westwood One's huge, folks, right? What are those guys doing in podcasting? Well, they realize the value of it for sure. So does... Uh, you know, the folks that bought John's good news uh, deal, they realized that the online is the answer. 
Uh, Joe, what's his name? Show Joe Rogan's show being picked up by Spotify proves that everybody's into podcasting now, and it's a big deal. But on Westwood One's blog, interesting, this guy's even blogging, Kurt. I mean, new media terms are just going flying everywhere with this guy. But on Westwood One's blog, John Wardock, the executive editor of the Westwood One Podcast Network, offers some guidance, Kurt, for podcasters on how to produce content that engages and retains listeners. Now, that's interesting because he's using blogging to do it and everything else, but he's going to tell us how to get listeners and what to do, Kurt. He also details ways, he says, to use, quote, Apple's Metrics. It's a dashboard tool that provides podcast publishers the ability to look at a bunch of things. So you can look at past episodes, Kurt. You can look at the duration of how long people listened, the devices, the total time listened, Time per device, average consumption. To access the dashboard, all you got to do is log into your, quote, Apple ID account used to publish the podcast in the first place. And there it all is, okay? So he tells you that. And, you know, we got a lot of that stuff, too. In his post, Wardock recommends, Kurt, listen to this. Here's the things he's going to recommend you focus on and do. You ready, Kurt? Yep. All right, here it is. Focusing on storytelling and preparation. You want to produce a great podcast or, in this case, show or whatever else. He says the answer is prepare, prepare, prepare. If you're going to publish an interview podcast, you better know your questions in advance. Do your homework. If you produce a scripted show, you know what? Pick apart your episodes. Do it by hand. Work through it and. What he's saying is there's nothing that takes the place of preparedness, right? Uh, and believe it or not, um, I've learned this in my career in radio, too. You got to prepare. You got to know the name of your guest. You got to know their website. You got to have studied their thing. You got to use their slogans and phrases and terminologies and things to get their word out in the way they would do it, the way they would want it done. You got to make sure that your questions make sense to, to, to really pull out the details of whoever you're interviewing so that it's interesting and fascinating. I learned a lot from Larry King, who is one of the experts at that, right? I learned a lot about, uh, you know, preparedness, preparedness, preparedness from guys, believe it or not, like Boulder Jack. You know who that is, Kurt? You know who Boulder Jack is? Craig Boulder Jack, yeah, yeah you former know, um, KSL broadcaster, and I, I think he's in uh, CBS or somewhere. You know, now I'm not sure where he is. Who's, who speaks for the jazz, Kurt? Who's the jazz voice? Maybe he's there. I, I don't know. I, think I just Boulder don't Jack, listen. If I'm not, Kurt, okay. you got to get on this, buddy. Anyway, he talks about how he prepares big time for every game. And people say, why do you prepare? Can't you just go in and announce the game, buddy? It's real time. It's live. He says, yeah, but it's all the statistics that I toss into the mix. And it's all the, you know, little teeny stories that I tell about the players and their past lives and what they do. And so he might talk about, you know, David Robinson in the days gone by uh, who played for, do you know who, Kurt? He was with the Rockets. San Antonio think, Spurs, maybe my friend. He was with the Twin Spurs, Towers. Okay. Buddy. Yeah. yeah, anyway, That's so right. he was, and, and what happened is, you know, you tell a little story about this guy really supports home education and private education, and he's really into the uh, alternative schooling options. He and was funds a good it. piano player, too. Yeah, 
Okay, so these are the kind of things that, that Greg would bring to the table about these different players. And, and it made for a fascinating weave together of a, of a broadcast where it's he's doing the live, then he's got his color guy telling some stories like a Ron Boone or somebody. And, and then he you know busts out and tells you a little bit about David. And then he'll tell you so-and-so, this player just got married or they just had a baby or, you know, this guy really you know funds this or this guy. Believe it or not, this guy has a business, a flower business where he grows flowers and, you know, whatever. Or he'll tell you about, hey, this guy, believe it or not, super super smart. He was going to be a mathematician, but he decided to come into the NBA or uh, the stories I'm giving are just uh, made up examples, but I'm making a point about, he really talked about the value and the necessity of preparedness of getting your questions together, understanding your topic and your subject to the people involved and really delivering a stellar broadcast. And John's pointing this same thing, this Westwood one executive, John Warlock put into the same importance. And I've, I've learned that from guys like, you know, this, he says you got to get creative with pre-roll ads because listening decisions are made so quickly, he says. Avoid starting an episode with ad copy if at all possible. And then he says, tease what lies ahead of the episode. I need to do a better job at that. See, I learned from these people. I can tease what's going on. So next hour, we got a guest. Constitution Party's Jim Clymer will be with us. All right, anyway, I, I digress except to say, I don't believe in pre-roll ads at all. It used to be when you turn on your radio, what would you get? Radio in progress. Now you can turn on your radio or the equivalent, start your podcast or your, and, and, and oftentimes you can listen from the start, but you don't need a bunch of pre-roll advertising before you, when you turn on your radio, you just get ads. That doesn't interest people. That doesn't pull people in at all. But he says, introduce your theme. Telegraph what's ahead. Introduce your guest. All these different things. Great, great input from John. He says experimentation. The beauty of having Apple metrics at your fingertips. You have instant insight into how content performs. How your listeners react. How your ads are received. And more. You see what works and what doesn't. You can make tweaks on the fly, learn to experiment. I agree with the experimentation view. Uh, this too much ads and the pre-roll and too much focusing on listener metrics, I think is kind of a problem. Because uh, do you just move ahead with whatever the listeners kind of make you believe is good and bad just so reactively? I don't think so. To some degree, what got you there as a personality-driven host and what got you there as a newsmaker isn't because you just listen to every finicky view of the listener. Now, don't misunderstand me. Listeners are important. I'm just saying you can't drive metrics that hard. Certainly metrics are a good snapshot into what's working and what's not working. But let's not take this real-time metric stuff too far. Okay? Because I'm telling you right now, the first thing you'll learn from metrics is just turn off all your ads, which is a great idea, except for you'll never have enough funding to survive, right? He says, quote, holding the audience. Strive to hold 80% of your audience to the mid-roll promotional position and use it as a draw for advertisers. Yeah. He stresses, look at the metrics on the right side of the dashboard. He's talking about this Google dashboard. He says they tell a story. Consumption rates under 70% are a problem. You want to get to be over 90%. If you do, you're my hero, he says. Again, this is what I mean. Too close attention to the metrics, in my opinion, is a bad thing. Because you've got to ask yourself, what are you in the medium for? 
Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it just to get massive listeners and always have that number go up? And when I learned this the most, I learned this kind of um, by listening to Chuck Harder and Jerry Hughes. You know, their audiences were big, but they were large, but they were small compared to, quote, mainstream standards. Uh, Chuck was on two or 300 radio stations, and they were small stations, most of them, or medium stations. And you know what? The total listenership, I don't know, wasn't probably as big as five huge stations. But here's the point. They were talking to middle America. They were talking to conservative people who believed in their message. That's 10 times more important than getting quadrupled the audience that doesn't really believe in your message. They're listening by force because there's nothing else to listen to. Or they disagree with you on every point. Because it's important to get a small, passionate audience, more so than a massive audience. I'm not on the radio to get 300 million people to listen to me. But if I could have two or three million that literally change their lives based on the things we discuss and become more focused on God, family, and country and turn to God and repent and really make time for their family and really focus on ministering to others and doing the things that matter and, and, and building a future to insulate their family from the evils of the world, to prepare for the Savior to return. I'm looking for that unique group, folks. I'm not looking for the millions to listen to me. I don't need to be a rock star. That's not what this is about for me. So a smaller, more dedicated audience that believes and and, and takes action and who loves what we focus on and do, I'm way more interested in that audience, folks. So I kind of disagree with this executive a little bit on on the point. What drives, you got to back up and say, what drives your broadcast? And that's the message that I'd give to this John guy that does the good news. Does he just want it to be, you know, to 300 million listeners, but yet the good news piece is taken out of it? Well, if that's what he wants, you got your cash and go your way, my friend. But if you really wanted good news peddled to the people, then you better peddle it yourself because the mainstream press won't do it. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now, you give it two or three years, and the show won't even look like it was before, if it exists at all. Dealing with dips, he says, through the Apple dashboard, you will spot potholes in your listening patterns. What is that dip? Oh, it's where people are fast-forwarding. How do you stop them from fast-forwarding through the ads? And Anyway, he goes on. And I bring this all up, though, to say I think there's a lot of reality in how valuable podcasting has become. The biggest of all big networks are absolutely laser-like focused on the podcasts because they know that's where the future is. And I think they're right about that. I've been telling them that for a long time, and nobody listened to me. I'm just an idiot. But when the big boys jump aboard, everybody thinks it's, like, serious now. It's real. It's important now. Before it was just before it was just those who couldn't be real broadcasters. <laughs> but anyway, I digress except to say John's on to something when he talks about the new media taking center stage and the new ways to get it done. And uh, I like the good. I'm going to take the good from what he teaches, and I'm going to start to uh, do my very best to let you know what's ahead in the broadcast and do better at kind of summarizing what's up and coming in the broadcast. I'm going to continue to prepare, 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 prepare. And I do believe you got to watch the trend data and see what people are liking that you do and what topics are hot and what are not. There's some value to all that stuff. But you got to put it with a grain of salt a little bit and say, hey, are we just going to be completely Democratic audience-driven? Or are we going to talk about representative republics, if you will, and say, hey, I'm the representative that people like to listen to to bring forward the news. Why? Because we do it openly and honestly, for example. It's all how you look at the world, I guess, is the difference. 
All right, hour one on the can two coming up. Liberty Roundtable live.